Hello, and welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series from H2 Tech, the hydrogen technology journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Anthresia McWashington, digital editor of H2 Tech, and your host for H2 Tech Talk. This week, we'll be discussing the case for blue hydrogen, a position paper published by the UK Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association with Sam French, Business Development Director of Johnson Matthey. So before we get started with the discussion, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe and share the H2 Tech podcast for more expert discussions on technology and trends in the hydrogen sector. It's easy to subscribe. Just click the subscribe button on iTunes or Blueberry. So now I'll ask Sam to tell us a bit about his role at Johnson Matthey and what the company is doing in the hydrogen space. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so yeah, Johnson Matthey is a UK-based company, just over 200 years old, focused on sustainable technologies. We have a wide portfolio of um, products, uh, but specifically in relation to hydrogen, we're focused um, three main areas currently. One's around um, a novel state-of-the-art technology for blue hydrogen, and we can discuss that more. We're also um, working on green hydrogen where we're manufacturing key components for um, electrolyzers and specifically PEM electrolyzers. We've also got a third business, which um, is the oldest business, actually, where we've been investing for about 20 years, making key components for fuel cells. Very similar to what we're doing in green hydrogen, where we're really focusing on the area where we can add most value, where we have the most competencies, which are around catalysts, manufacturing catalysts, and how we um, put those onto the components that our customer needs in the most effective manner and manufacturing those at high large scale. And in the case for blue hydrogen paper, um, I wanted to ask you, what do you feel the significance or why is it, why is blue hydrogen essential to the UK's transition to uh, low carbon energy? So yeah, that's a good question. I think um, importantly here, uh, as we've just mentioned, Johnson Matthey is investing in both blue and green hydrogen. And likewise, uh, the UK government has made it clear that it sees that a, a multi-track approach is required uh, for hydrogen, where we consider um, green hydrogen alongside blue hydrogen, also the potential to make hydrogen from nuclear, uh, biomass and waste, all of these routes, if they are low carbon, are going to be essential for uh, decarbonization. Blue hydrogen particularly has advantages in areas uh, with good access to natural gas and the ability to do carbon capture and storage, as it can be produced in the near term at large scale and at relatively low cost versus the other routes to manufacturing hydrogen today. This is going to be important where we are looking at applications such as industrial energy, which require large volumes of uh, low carbon hydrogen, or potentially in dispatchable power where we're replacing natural gas with low carbon hydrogen in gas turbines. 
where significant volumes of hydrogen are required. The other area that's um, under debate, but I, I believe hydrogen will have a role to play is in domestic heating in countries such as the UK and other countries um, globally uh, that use a lot of natural gas today for domestic heating. It's really about building the large volumes of uh, hydrogen, clean hydrogen that are required as quickly as possible. Over time, we certainly anticipate that there'll be a transition to more and more green hydrogen as the price comes down, driven largely by uh, improvements and uh, increased manufacturing scale in the supply chain, but also critically with the further deployment of low cost renewables. So it's not either or, this is about having as much possible low carbon hydrogen as quickly as possible. Okay, and um, can you explain kind of what those steps are that are being taken to uh, deploy this hydrogen um, as quickly as possible? Yeah, so um, I, th I think what we're seeing, and this is uh, happening globally, but there are some countries that are further in front than others. Interestingly, I think the recent infrastructure fund that's been discussed in the US is starting to pick up speed. Um, but if we focus on uh, what's happening in the UK and Europe, what we're seeing is um, cluster a cluster model whereby you locate multiple facilities making hydrogen at scale. And by at scale, I mean hundreds of megawatts up to gigawatts of hydrogen um, in combination with the deployment of carbon capture and storage. We anticipate these will be in industrial areas which um, have a high demand base. So at the moment, we are working on a couple of projects that I can discuss because they've been funded by UK government. One, for example, in the northwest of the UK, Hynet. We're just finishing um, in collaboration with partners the, the um, front-end engineering design, which is the real first piece of getting all of the uh, engineering in place to allow construction to occur. However, it, whilst we've uh, to date been funded by a government, the next stage, which is to get the project to financial investment decision will require business models. And we're uh, anticipating the UK hydrogen strategy to come out any day now. Uh, with that will be the first indication of what those business models look like. There is a, you know, I've been involved in many conversations, discussion groups with government that are talking that the, the likely business model will be contract for difference, um, which is essentially the same route that's been used in the UK to, um, to stimulate and uh, grow the deployment of uh, renewable electricity, for example, offshore wind, and it's been very successful in doing so. Essentially, the government provides a subsidy over a reference price, um, which is then called the strike price, and then projects can bid into an auction. Um, and over time, that strike price will come down as there's learning, technology improvements, and the scale of these projects grow. Many believe that that project, that, that mechanism is viable for both blue and green hydrogen, although understanding that the, the strike price will have to be different in the two cases to accommodate the difference in price today.
so we anticipate the first projects could be um, at financial investment decision sometime next year and then go quickly into construction following that, hopefully to have the first blue hydrogen at scale being manufactured by 2024 or 2025. Um, can you speak about some of the challenges that um, you all are seeing as these projects are being um, implemented, talked about um, as we progress to them actually um, being in production of blue hydrogen? Yes, okay. So it's probably important for me to say at the moment that Johnson Matthew is a technology provider. So we are the ones who are providing the process information and you can kind of think of it like a blueprint for the, the, the plant or the facility. We're not actually gonna be the owner operators making the hydrogen, but we work very closely with partners or potential customers in that space. Firstly, really the key hurdle at the moment is these uh, is the business models, which give the ability for private investment to come in for the capital, because the business model is really supporting the, the OPEX or the operational costs going forward. With the right return, we'll see private sector investment come in, uh, and that's key. So what we need is clarity from government on business models. And for blue hydrogen, you also need um, the carbon capture and storage uh, frameworks to be implemented. In the UK uh, and other countries, these are going in parallel and processing, progressing well, but we do need sign off, for example, from uh, Treasury for, for the financing side of it. I think then some of the other key elements that uh, need to follow are things like standards particularly uh, oh, for blue hydrogen, but also for green hydrogen, it's, it's really important the carbon intensity of the final product or the emissions associated with that clean hydrogen really are low. So what we don't want is um, for uh, you know, technologies to be deployed that really aren't capturing the, the levels of CO2 and we want to really make sure that the, the emissions are low by setting high high bar. Um, so, you know, for example, the technology that we've developed um, that's being deployed in the Northwest captures more than 95% of all the CO2, if not higher. Um, we, we are looking at how you can push that higher. The other part is also the upstream emissions. You have to be aware that when you're using natural gas, there, there are emissions currently associated with the upstream um, transportation or, or where it's uh, coming out of the ground. Now, many companies, many of the oil gas companies are currently setting really tough um, targets for reducing these emissions, but we have to consider those all together in, um, when we're thinking about what the, uh, how clean these different types of hydrogen are. For green hydrogen, what we really need is we need the electricity source to be as you know, low emissions as possible. So we need, you know, if we're talking about um, using grid electricity, we really have to drive down the carbon intensity of the grid by maximizing the amount of renewables. 
ideally it would be a direct renewable to electrolyzer um, transmission that really would then lead to zero carbon uh, hydrogen. With um, the phases that we are at in, in the beginning, like you, like you just mentioned, um, can you explain the significance of the developing the blue hydrogen market for purchasers and end users once this um, blue hydrogen is act, blue hydrogen, excuse me, is actually being deployed? Yeah, so it, it's a really good point. It's, it's no point us producing it if there's no demand. Um, clearly you need to be matching supply and demand. The route that the, currently the UK government are taking um, and, and others are looking at is that you subsidize the production. So you could <clears throat> essentially think that the, the, the energy cost or the fuel cost to the consumer stays the same as what they're using today. We see that being beneficial for industrial users um, uh, and what they then need support with is the, the proof statement to reduce the risk in them fuel switching away from what could currently be, for example, natural gas to using low carbon hydrogen. So it's about proving it, de-risking it, making sure that they can still use that uh, fuel within their within their facilities. And there's a lot of work looking at that. For example, um, glass manufacturing, again, you have high temperature furnaces, um, the use, use of um, hydrogen, low carbon hydrogen in steel manufacture. There are lots of, um, there's a lot of work going on to prove that's the case. So that can be one very obvious way for, to grow the demand. The other parts that are uh, under consideration are blending hydrogen into the natural gas grid, and then that would be used within domestic heating and cooking, um, up to a 20% blend by volume of hydrogen, uh, as has been shown by trials, for example, at the high deployed trials on Keele University, that you don't need to change um, burners in boilers or change anything in your cooking equipment to be able to use that hydrogen. So we see those as being two large demand sources. Now, hydrogen in transport, I think, will also be key. There's a lot of focus on battery electric vehicles, and that's very, you know, very sensible for short distance urban vehicles. But when we start to consider heavy duty vehicles, uh, doing long, which require long range, hydrogen makes a lot more sense. And we're also starting to see a lot more uh, demonstrations of hydrogen trains. Moving beyond that, I do think we'll also start, there'll be a lot more hydrogen or hy a hydrogen carrier such as ammonia used in um, shipping uh, with aviation um, coming on at a later date. Thank you. And um, can you speak to um, just your personal insights on where we'll be just globally, not um, just the UK, globally with the hydrogen space, particularly with blue hydrogen and green hydrogen being deployed um, more so as we continue on in the energy transition? 
So, um, Johnson Matthews, uh, a board member of the Hydrogen Council, uh, which is a global in initiative now with, I think it's up to about 120 companies engaged. And by that, some of 120 of the largest companies in the world. We see different, uh, slightly different strategies in different areas of the world. Um, but we do see growth in our pipelines of projects happening across the across the globe i think we see in um in china uh, a real focus on transportation a lot of buses but equally they're starting we're starting to see a view of how hydrogen can play a, a, a more a wider role in the energy system a lot of what people talk about sector couplings occurring where these sectors that were previously siloed are now starting to come together. You have to remember that today, 80% of global energy approximately is uh, in the form of molecules. So is uh, either gas, natural gas through liquids, the uh, you know, oils, diesels, petrols through to coal and 20% of electricity well actually we are anticipating a strong shift to increased electrification but you do need uh, it's a, a lot easier to store energy in a molecule in a, in a chemical bond rather than as electrons in, in for example batteries and so we see a real complementarity between uh, increased electrification and the need for a low carbon clean hydrogen to really provide a resilient energy system um, and also then that brings in the fact that we're going to be using it in industrial energy in heating in dispatchable power and in all of these tra different transport applications so the, the the scope for hydrogen to play a, a real large role in our total energy requirement or demand uh, we see increasing rapidly um, it also is going to, in the future, I, I, we see already today, but more and more that it will be uh, a market where you can um, transport it from regions of um, low cost production to high demand. Uh, and that could be a mixed route. And again, in blue or green, blue from areas with low cost gas and um, high capacity for carbon capture and storage versus areas um, for green hydrogen production, particularly those which have high, uh, or sorry, low cost, a high deployment of low cost renewables. Uh, you could see that being, um, for example, solar from the Middle East or Africa, and then being delivered into areas in sort of Central Europe, which uh, will struggle to achieve the same pricing. Um, we're already seeing, uh, liquid hydrogen carriers at scale being deployed in Japan to transport hydrogen from the likes of Australia into Japan. Um, but we, will, we anticipate that will also uh, include um, carriers such as uh, ammonia and methanol that have been produced from a, a low carbon hydrogen.
Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there was anything specific um, in addition that you would like to share with our audiences about um, Johnson Matthews' work in the hydrogen space. Well, I think um, I think the key element from uh, Johnson Matthews' perspective is that we keep to keep innovating, keep moving forward. However, right now. Um, the technologies are there. So I think one thing people often talk about is waiting for new technology innovations. That's not what this market needs right now. What it really needs is projects to be deployed. By deploying projects at scale, we'll learn. We'll learn what the requirements are. We'll be able to guide our innovation. We'll understand where hydrogen fits best in this new clean, low carbon energy system. Innovation's absolutely required, and we will continue to do it and keep driving the technology to better and better solutions. But to do that, we need the market to grow. So we need partnerships is the other key thing. This isn't something that any one company is going to solve, but we need the right policy and regulation to drive initial uptake and then we'll see the costs come down of hydrogen, as we've seen for other new technologies such as offshore wind. And that will really drive the opportunity for us to lead towards uh, net zero solutions and provide one of the <clears throat> key um, technology options for some of the really hard to abate areas. Thank you. All right, so that concludes this episode of H2 Tech Talk. I want to thank our guest, Sam French, the business development manager for Johnson Matthew, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts or Blueberry.